Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to another episode of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Shelly and joined with me is my co-host Serge Boudreaux. Serge, another show. What do we got on top today? It's been a lot of shows and I've been spending way too much time with you recently. I'm glad to bring in a guest and we have a really special guest. George LaRock is the founder and principal analyst at WorkTech. George, welcome to the show. Thank you, Serge. Thank you, Shelly. It's great to be here. One of the first questions I asked George, just based on his name, is you got to be Canadian, right? And he does have Canadian lineage, so I guess that makes it even more exciting to be on this show. But for our audience, George, can you tell us a little bit of who is George LaRock and how you got in this business? Since you brought up the Canadian thing, my mother is Canadian and she's been in the U.S. for like 60 years or, or more, but she holds on to that citizenship. So I've got family there and I've worked for some Canadian companies. So I've got a warm spot for Canada and all things Canadian. That being said, um, I've been in the industry over 30 years. The first 10 or 11 were on the practitioner side. So I came out of recruiting and moved from the staffing world to the employer side, started a consulting business about the mid nineties when the web was really coming on and we were taking employers to the web. Then I left there and jumped onto the tech side and spent another 10 or 11 years on the tech side. I had some good runs. I ran global sales for Brass Ring. I was uh, employee number 10 or 11 there. I took uh, Bullhorn through their first significant round of funding in the staffing side. I took um, a company called Hiredesk from the staffing world as general manager into the HR world. Hiredesk became Telemetry, which is now part of uh, Jobvite. So a few good runs. And then about 12 years ago, started WorkTech or what has evolved into WorkTech. And I view my role as an advisor and analyst in the space, helping users of HR technology, work technology, recruiting technology, and the developers of it, helping them understand each other. I track all of the growth capital that comes into the space, spend a lot of time on innovation, a lot of time on what people are really using, what's working, what they're looking for, and what's coming into the space, what's available, and help navigate that. Thank you, George. One of the things that I'm always trying to figure out is I'm trying to find that person that purposely came into this industry and just not fell into it. So in university, were you like, I'm going to get in the recruitment game and the HR tech space, or did you just fall into it? No, I'm not going to be that guy for you today. (laughs) And I, I think that's one of the changes, though. There are more people who are actually going to university with this goal. But this was always something that you fell into in my world. I came from really the sales side, and you go through the first year or so as a recruiter, and you're still really a salesperson. And then at some point, if you're good at it, for me, anyhow, it became, oh, I like this, and I can help people. I'm productive. I can tell the story about my career, like it's 30 years of logical decisions, but like any career, it was great timing with the market and technology. And I know recruiting, I know HR, and was able to keep building on that. Speaking of 
a remarkable year, 2021. I didn't see it coming. Didn't think I'd ever see the day. Because like you, George, I started in the 90s as well and seen some amazing things happen over time. But 2021 was just such an incredible year for investment. What are we ticking at? 16.7 billion with a B. And 354 transactions just in that kind of work tech, TA, recruitment, HR, technology space. Did you predict it? Did you see that coming? What are the factors here that made this come together in 2021? Yeah, those numbers were accurate. But as the year closed out, it actually bumped up closer to 18 and another 20 deals or so. But nobody could have predicted it. I think there were three primary factors, right? One, on the financial side, money was cheap. So it was a lot of money looking for a home, interest rates really low, good terms out there, big VC and private equity funds looking for a place to put their dollars. Then you had a market that's really mature. This whole future of work market, recruiting technology, work tech, It didn't start with COVID. We've been doing this for a long time. And so it was a popular space for investors. The year prior, we did about 5 billion and that was a huge year. And, you know, things were progressing and it was getting some attention. The third factor would be the circumstances that led into last year. COVID, as well as societal issues around diversity in the U.S., the George Floyd murder and everything that happened there. It was rethinking work and the relationship between individuals and employers is something everybody was looking at. And it created a multi-pronged perfect storm. And yeah, it was an incredible year. Could not have predicted it. So what are your thoughts about 2022? You say even as the ticker kept going to the end of the year, it was 18 billion. Yeah. <laughs> Is there more money out there? Yeah. What do you expect this to continue? You know, because of 21, I'm hesitant to predict anything. But I would say that unless something breaks, unless mm. there's a major shift from a global economic perspective, this is the pace that we're on. I think we could repeat or there could be even more money flowing into the space. We're pushing a billion this quarter already. Q1 isn't necessarily the best quarter. There's no rhyme or reason to it, but we've got an environment where there's still a lot of attention on this category and a lot of funds have been beefed up. War chests have been built with money on the investor side to go to market. And we're looking at an increasingly difficult job market. We're looking at a lot of uncertainty. We're looking at this resignation, this global resignation that's happening. And if you subscribe to that, you've got a lot of folks thinking about how does work change now and how does it change forever? And what are the tools that we need? Yeah, I think it's going to be another fever pitch year until or unless something changes. And none of the economists are predicting any of those major changes. So I think we're probably in for another massive year of funding. Yeah, I think the dynamics are going to change a little bit because money is not going to be as cheap. Uh, But we were on a podcast recently with Chris Russell and Joel Cheeseman, and they both thought that it was going to dramatically decrease this year. And I just can't see it because we've never been in a space like this where all the executives are seeing this as a major challenge. Recruitment has now become in the radar that never really was. 2021 really put everything in perspective. So it will be interesting to see where the money is invested. Because if we look at 2021, there was a lot in learning, which actually I was surprised to see payroll and job board marketplace 
Is there a particular segment of HR that we should expect in 2022 that there's going to be a higher focus on? I think for 2022, that list of categories, that's been fairly consistent. Learning having so much was a little unusual, but it's normally in the top five. Okay. And I think if I were to take it down a level into sort of subcategories, this will be the year of the AI and conversational AI platforms across all, not just mm-hmm. recruiting, but across recruiting and the entire employee life cycle. This is where we're going to see more adoption because we just don't have the people to do the work. If Cheeseman and Russell say it's going to dramatically drop, I'll go on record and I'll double down on the fact that we could see an even bigger year. While interest rates are higher and money won't be as cheap, in the US, the gross domestic product is anticipated by the Fed to be between 3 and 4% real growth. Where are we going to get the people to fill the jobs that help that kind of growth? And we're going to need some technology to facilitate that. That's a category I would pay real close attention to. Agree. Okay. Serge and I had our episode about what are our predictions for 2022. And Mm -hmm. and something that you just touched on was there was so much being said about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and noticing there are some funding announcements around DE&I. But my prediction is that it's going to start to wane. So give me your analyst insight into, are we starting to see less investment in tools that'll fix it? Are employers coming to realize that DE&I is a human issue and not a technology issue? What are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah I'm not a DE&I expert. I always say that around that topic. But there was a bump in funding around tools mm-hmm. that are more focused on DE&I than others. For all of the focus, I expected there to be more mm-hmm. solutions coming into the space. Now, to your point, though, it's a systemic problem. You know, there isn't one app that's going to solve this for you. So you've got to solve it with where and how you're sourcing talent, the process you're using to select them. Then you've got to address it in talent management and retention and succession planning and learning. That being said, I think there is one glimmer of hope, and that is around this concept of ESG investment. Investors are really focused on ESG as environmental, societal, and governance. So the S and the G are where HR sits squarely. And if I'm looking at the public markets and I'm advising people where to put their money from a stock perspective, I'm looking for companies that are focused on diversity, inclusion, equitable hiring, as well as where they sit on environmental impact. Now, when we get to the governance aspect of it, the SEC in the US last year had a, a new regulation go into effect where companies now have to report on their human capital metrics. So they have to report on all of their diversity metrics, all of their inclusion, et cetera. It's not just race and gender, but across the board, all human capital metrics. And this is in support of this ESG thing, like a good government regulation that's brand new. We don't have any real guidance on it. Everybody's just flailing around trying to figure out what it means. But I do believe in the next couple of years, we're going to see probably in the uh, analytics and reporting side of things, we'll see more coming out and more tech providers that are focused and helping employers with those issues. You know, I'm still really hopeful, but you're right. There's probably more service provider folks helping with the human aspects of it. We'll see increased growth there as well. 
Well, I think what's frustrating for me is seeing all these funding announcements. And I would say the majority of them, no matter what the tool is, there's some element that this is going to help with diversity, equity, inclusion. The sense that I get is they're just adding it because it's the hot topic. It's what is drawing interest right now. A lot of these tools, I know what they do. And for them to say that they're uh, a DNI solution, it's a very big stretch. What's your yeah. take on that? No, you're right. There are very, I can only think of a couple that are really focused. There's one called Canaries with a K that is branding and analytics that's focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion. But it, you know, all of the others are really focused somewhere like Handshake in the talent marketplace side of things is really a connection between career offices and employers, but they put a lot of effort into messaging around diversity. Another thing that's happening in the last year, we've seen a lot of candidate sourcing technologies that were never really messaging around diversity, but the customers have come back and said, this has really helped us. And now they're jumping on it. And that's a good thing because they have real case studies to base it on, but it's not an easy problem to solve. And there is some of that, a lot of messaging where there isn't a lot of meat on the bone. A lot of folks don't really understand how their tools might be able to solve this or address this problem. And most of the trends that I see take a good five years to mature and yeah. diversity inclusion isn't a, just a five-year issue, but from a technology perspective, it's in that ballpark. So, you know, I'm hopeful, but frustrated. So you're right. There is some of these tools that weren't designed for it. And there's a case study. It works and it's yeah. made an impact. And that's great. Both Seekout and Paradox have uh, both announced unicorn status investment in the last month. And in 2021, they've both had different rounds. I think this was a Series C and D respectively. What's interesting for me is looking at the level investment that they're getting. When we talk about Seekout and Paradox, are these going to be the new primary platforms that recruiters use replacing the standard ATS that the majority of talent acquisition practitioners are using? Is that the market that Seekout and Paradox are going after? I would say that from a platform play perspective, Paradox is in that space. It's already, yeah. Yeah. And their mission is to make HR invisible. It doesn't mean make it go away. It just means automate the workflows. And they're a company that's really well managed. They're really efficient with their capital. So while it was a $215 million round, I believe, and a unicorn valuation over a billion, they're not the kind of company that has raised a ton of cash because they burned a ton of cash. Look for them to make some really strategic moves. And whether they're that platform or not, we'll discover that, but they're in that mold. Seekout comes from the sourcing side where they're helping sourcing teams, recruiting teams, identify talent based on public data that's available as well as different licensed data. And now where they're going is they're extending onto the post-hire side of things. What they're saying is they're not looking to become an ATS or automate the hiring process, but they're looking to be the intelligence for a holistic talent view. I think in a way, yes, but I think based on the, the question, Paradox fits in that. Seekout is definitely a new breed of solution that's addressing this great resignation thing and saying yes. if, if the priority is to keep people, we can't just find you new talent, but we've got to expose your internal talent and what makes them special and who fits. And that usually becomes a slippery slope into more 
features and functions, but that's where they are for now. Mm. That was really well said, George, because we talk about talent acquisition day in, day out. A term that you've used a lot, Serge, was you can't recruit yourself out of turnover. You just can't. Because if you're doing nothing to keep the people that you have through whatever means, but having some sort of tool, I think is really essential because it's impossible. You can't possibly, if, if you're 300 employees per one HR person, I mean, come on. So advice for practitioners when it comes to assessing new tech and deciding, you know, usually those in HR, we're influencers. We're going to be at the table when maybe vendors are being assessed. What advice would you give? to practitioners when it comes to things to assess about new technology? What are some of the things we should have on our checklist? My advice, especially if you're looking at emerging tech, uh, like some of the stuff we've been talking about is look at it like an investment portfolio um, and think about your risk profile. If I'm replacing my core ATS, do I want to go with a new platform that came out last year? Yeah, they've raised a bunch of money and they've got a great valuation. They don't have a lot of logos or the logos they do have are all in tech. Do I want to take a risk in that part of my business? Or am I looking at more emerging technology and sourcing in analytics, maybe looking at some of the newer tools or vendors who are focused on DE&I, if I've got a commitment there. So first it's the risk profile. Then HR people are not financial analysts. Recruiters aren't financial analysts. And you want to partner with your CFO or leaders in the financial area and ask some questions about how much cash they have on hand, how much they've raised, what kind of burn rate they've had. And that's probably more relevant when you're looking at a platform and when you're a bigger employer. It's probably not as relevant when we're talking about an app. Like a sourcing tool can fairly easily be replaced. But if you're looking to rip out your ATS and put in a new one, they're fair questions to, to ask. That's what helps identify how much risk you're taking. So I'd love your Mm. advice because it is about if you're willing to take a certain amount of risk to try something out that nobody else is doing, because that tends to be the attraction. We need to do something different because there's nothing normal about anything we're doing here. So great advice. Thank you, George. Sure. Shelly, one of the things that you mentioned there is talent acquisition is generally an influencer. If I am going to get a new piece of technology that's going to affect my day-to-day and my performance is going to be based on it, I should be the decision maker, in my opinion. That doesn't always happen in large organizations, but depending on the scope of it, you should be the decision maker. Your head of IT, or in a lot of cases, we've seen finance or even HR, if it's talent acquisition tool, you do not want your HR manager making that decision because it's a different skill set. But what are you seeing? Are you seeing that it's talent acquisition folks making those decisions? For the most part, it is talent acquisition that's driving that. Now, the big exception in the larger employers has been with somebody like Workday, where they might yeah. come in as the core HR platform and the CFO, the CIO might have a lot of sway over the decision because of the money that's already been spent, the yeah. ROI. And we've heard about a lot of companies, recruiters who reluctantly have to use something like a Workday. That's not unique to Workday. That's how success factors early on, they came in through the CFO and became part of SAP. In a large enterprise, there's always that that give and take between HR and the CFO, um, yeah. CIO, as far as 
what platforms to use. But for the most part, it is talent acquisition. Well, and you just explained why talent acquisition folks are using so many bad systems to exactly that point. They're forced into the Workdays, the UGK, the Taleo, the list goes on and on. And generally, if they're not a core ATS, that's not their primary thing. I'm not saying Workday or the other players are, are necessarily bad, but they're definitely not, say, a smart recruiter or any tool that is just dedicated to the profession. So I wanted to jump on a little bit different topic. I don't get as excited for funding announcements. Where I get excited is acquisitions. Okay. So looking into 2022, I'm going to ask you to predict, and I won't hold you to it, but what do you feel is going to be an acquisition that maybe will shock a lot of people in the talent acquisition space in 2022? Oh, boy. Um, Putting you on the spot. Yeah, let's see. I think we're going to see some moves that will be surprising. Now, I'm trying to think of what vendors I want to attach to these predictions, but I believe that we're going to see the job board space where you've got folks that are classically just looked upon as a source of talent start to move into the rest of the process, even post-hire via acquisition, because whether it's adopted or not, that's you know, beside the point, but that there's a concept that I'm calling like the talent super app, where right now we've got things so bifurcated between external talent, internal talent, and we're still doing it with these like talent marketplaces internally, yeah. where we're putting a fence ring around internal talent. And I think your more strategic, more progressive recruiting and HR leaders want a holistic view. They want to make a game day decision on whether moving someone internally, bringing someone in from outside, and then am I going full-time or freelance? They want that whole view. And I don't get it when I'm looking at recruiting over here in a silo and a talent marketplace over there in a silo. I think the job boards that are most likely to do that are Indeed and ZipRecruiter because of the cash they have on hand, the resources that they have and moves that they've already made. On the core recruitment side, look for a couple of acquisitions. I don't know who they'll acquire, but I would look for them to move some of these experiments they've had with white glove service and RPO to move into some pre-hire, post-hire. And I don't have any cards on the table that I can see that you can't. It's a true prediction. This is the year not only for funding to drive conversational AI, but I would expect, just like we saw Alio and Maya get acquired, which were sort of anticlimactic. They were taken off the table really early. I think you can look at companies like Paradox, either get very acquisitive as their value increases, or because they've been so efficiently managed, you could see like a Microsoft or an Indeed or a HCM platform say, we need this and we need to extend it out through the entire life cycle. You could see Paradox going either way because they've been so well managed. I loved that you brought up Microsoft because when I think about what needs to be linked together, Paradox and LinkedIn should be linked together. Because what does LinkedIn represent? Yes, it's the biggest professional network. But if you want to know what your people are thinking and doing and what is it like to work at this organization, there's probably more valuable data in your employees' LinkedIn profiles than there is in your HCM. 
Yeah. So yeah. for somebody like a paradox to be bought out by a Microsoft and blend that in, wouldn't that be heavenly? Because I keep waiting. Like, what are you guys going to do with LinkedIn? To me, there's so much gold in there. Oh my God. Yeah. And and they're just letting it rust. Yeah, hundred percent. And the engagement that you can get from a LinkedIn with a tool like the conversational interface, you could screen all of the candidates and give them an interview experience and move them to the next stage or the first stage or whatever of the hiring process with a conversational interface like that. You can't do it with humans, right? You've got to be more selective. You only have so much time. That's a really interesting model that you put out there, but who has the resources to make that kind of acquisition with a company valued like a paradox? It's a big player like that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Indeed already has the infrastructure to do a lot of the things that you mentioned without acquiring anything additional. The interesting one is Zip Recruiter. Zip Recruiter just raised $500 million in junk bonds, which uh, was a surprise for me anyways. And my first instinct was they're buying talent.com. But you're making me think of a different approach and how they're going to counter what Indeed is already capable of doing. So my prediction is still Zip Recruiter will buy talent.com. I was wrong because last year I predicted a recruit would buy Zip Recruiter. So I guess it's a fool's game. And there's no way we can predict this. But George, thank you so much for being on the show. For anyone listening, where can they get a hold of you? What's the best way? Any preference there? Go at the website, oneworktech.com. And you can use the number one worktech.com or spell it out. They both go to the same place. And uh, you'll be able to connect with me there. I've got speaking engagements coming up and things. It's all on the site. And uh, thanks for having me. I had a lot of fun. No, this was great. Thank you so much. Your insights and knowledge for everyone. George is a must follow. You got to follow his content. If you want to be informed, he's the guy. George, thanks again. Thank Thank you, you. George. Hope to talk to you again. Me too. What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On PressBox Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small, and some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on PressBox Access. 